Welcome into the Beer Garden, presented by Oxford Crystal. I'm Neil McCready. Today on the show, we're going to talk about polling. Jeff Perrier is the polling director for Florida Watch. It is a uh, nonprofit there in Florida. He knows a lot about polling, how the uh, how the numbers work, how you get polling data in today's world with everybody with a smartphone and the ability to block calls and all of those things. A lot of things that I want to uh, I want to get to with him. So we'll do that in just a second. First, I want to tell you that I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. You guys know the routine by now. You get a quote within 15 minutes and business hours. It's really that simple. You can take the quote, shop it around, or you can do what I've done, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. You will love the product. You'll love the service. You'll love everything about Clark Ford. Uh uh, we were brought to you by the Oxford Crystal, Highway 6 West in Oxford, right next door to the Oxford Exxon. So you can fill up at the Oxford Exxon, then fill up at the Oxford Crystal. Uh, it's drive through is open. Delivery is open as well. Uber Eats, Grubhub, Waiter, DoorDash, all of that there at Oxford Crystal. They also have the new Crystal Fan Swag portion of the proceeds benefiting the Crystal Foundation. So you can get your swag on at crystal.com. And you can also get your uh, get your eating on with the new Southern style chicken strips there at Oxford Crystal, and um, all sorts of stuff. The the uh, chicks, the pups, everything that you've come uh, to get used to. The banana uh, slush, I'm sorry, the the fresh cracked egg biscuits, the banana pudding shake, the uh, peach slush, all of that there at Oxford Crystal Highway Six West in Oxford, right next door to the Oxford Exxon. We're also brought to you by LB's Meat Market, 2008 University Avenue in Oxford. Um, we just put up the spin instructor versus the uh, butcher, which is brought to you by LB's Meats, so you can hear Greg talk about all of the great products that are there for you at LB's. Um, day after day, week after week, LB's never disappoints. The freshest cuts in Oxford, handmade sausages. They've got lobster, seafood, pork, beef, chicken, everything that you could possibly want for your football weekend as we get ready for another weekend of SEC football, NFL football, Major League Baseball playoffs, the NBA Finals. A lot going on, a lot for you to uh, enjoy uh, grilling or hanging out at home and getting ready for another weekend of sports, thank goodness. All right, we're going to uh, turn to Jeff now. He joins us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing great. Um, I've wanted to say this for a long time, and I feel like I'm going to take this opportunity to say, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so this is really interesting to me because I've always wondered, in, in the past, polling data would be, you know, excellent. You, you had a real clue about what was happening in polls, what was happening in an election. The polls were pretty accurate. And, and then, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt like in 2016, the polls, they didn't, it wasn't like they were completely off, but they missed a little bit. I think we all got up on election day thinking that Hillary Clinton was going to be elected that night. She lost in the electoral college to uh, Donald Trump. And a lot of the polling in Ohio and Michigan and some of those states, Wisconsin, some of those states, the polling was just off. What happened? Yeah. So um, full disclosure, I, you know, I work uh, in Democratic politics. I'm a Democrat. I was uh, worked at a firm that was doing polling for the Clinton campaign in 2016. Um, and essentially, uh, you know, the thing that happened was 
the education weighting was off uh, in in polls, especially in the Midwest. Um, so that's why you had, uh, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania be such shockers is, you know, those are states with very big, uh, you know, non-college educated white uh, populations. And, um, and they, there weren't, weren't enough of them in, in the polls. Uh, and before this has been, this has been an issue that was sort of, um, that was masked in, in previous election cycles because there had, there hadn't been a huge gap uh, between the way a non-college white voter in Wisconsin voted and the way a college educated white voter in Wisconsin would vote. But in 2016, and, and frankly, since then, there's been a, a a big gulf between those two. Uh, Trump's base is, is you know, as you hear a lot, is, is the white working class, uh, especially in some of those Midwestern states. And where the Republicans and Trump have struggled uh, has been in, you know, suburban areas with, uh, you know, highly educated, highly educated, more affluent populations. So in 2016, um, you know, there was just a, uh, in, in those Midwestern states in particular, a, a a failure to account for um, for that. Uh, the national polls in 2016, you know, ended up being pretty spot on. Like the final polling average was Clinton plus three, and she won by uh, plus two in the national vote. Uh, but that was also masking another error that was going on, um, which was you know missing those uh, that that white non college population. But that was kind of canceled out because the uh, the polls tended to underestimate Clinton's support in suburbs and, and in particular with Hispanic voters. So that's why, you know, things kind of evened out in the national polls. But you saw these big, big, uh, you know, gaps between uh, where the state polls were in the Midwest and then where the where the election ended up. Yeah, it was it was a it was a fascinating day. And I remember that being one of the things that I was curious about when it was over was, well, how did. How did we miss? And and you're right. She won by three, and that was in the in the popul in the total population vote. But yeah, it was just a state by state thing. So yeah, yeah. What was what was the lesson learned between 2016 and, and maybe the the midterm elections in 2018? How did it change methodology that that you used? Um, pollsters that are reputable uh, are now waiting by education, and now and we've done a lot of looks into into census data in different parts of the country. And, um, and so you're seeing, you're seeing now, and you've seen since 2016 that, um, instead of just sort of taking whoever you get from an education standpoint, weighting it. And that usually means weighting up the white non-college sample to a bigger, bigger than what would naturally come in to a poll. Uh, you know, part of this is that white people who went to college are more likely to talk to a pollster than, um, than non-college whites. Uh, there was the, another issue was that the, among that non-college white, you know, subgroup, there's, you know, that's a pretty diverse group of people. Like, you can not have a college degree, but maybe you work in a in, at a accounting firm or something, you know, doing something there, and that's really different than being a construction worker. And those people have very different politics; they have very different lives. Um, so, a lot of polls have started asking a. One of the things I insist that any pollster I hire uh, for my organization do is ask people what type of job they work, whether it's uh, sit down at a desk in an office or whether it's outdoor, doing something with your hands, building something, laboring like that. Because um, what, Because the people that are behind a, a desk typically vote one way and the people that, that do the more blue-collar job typically vote a different way? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you're, it's to say that you're a plate, you're, you're 
what you don't want it more than anything else is you don't want your non-college sample to be a bunch of office workers. You want it to be a good mix of people who work in offices and people who work outside, people who do a wide variety of things. Uh, because yeah, like there is, you know, a lot of times those those sort of white collar office job people maybe maybe have more in common with the college educated person working at the next desk, you know, from a from a dem- demographic standpoint, and so their politics might be more, uh, you know, might be might be different. And I mean, obviously what, what are I'm curious? Are, I'm, are, I'm I'm really curious here because I'll I'll tell you a little bit of a story, and I've said this on the podcast before, and so tell me whether I was reading it correctly. I remember. The morning of Election Day in 2016, we were here in the Clark Ford Studios, and I turned the television on. We sometimes, like right now, it's off. I turned the television on, and we were flipping around, and I turned it to CNN, I turned it to Fox News, I turned it to MSNBC, I turned it to the networks. We were just, you know, we were taping a podcast, and I was flipping. And I kept noticing in the Midwestern states these lines of what Mm -hmm. appeared to be blue-collar white people and again you know who knows i don't know what they were but there were people that were waiting and i remember one of the anchors i want to say it was on cnn one of the uh one of the reporters out in the field said these people were waiting in line for three hours to vote and i told chase i said this is going to be closer than you think that those are people that are in line to vote for trump it was very similar to eight years earlier when you saw lines of uh well, frankly, of African Americans lined mm-hmm. up in the rain, waiting to yeah. vote for Bar- Barack Obama, and you're like, "This is over. McCain has no chance. Th- these people are absolutely motivated to vote." So I'm curious when you say that about the the out, the, I guess the blue collar, use your hand, white non college educated worker. Those te- those people typically vote Republican. Uh. In, starting in 2016, uh, that's been the case uh, more so than before. You know, obviously, we're generalizing here. There are construction workers out there that are, you know, socialists, and there's of course, people right. working off right. who, are, who are far right or whatever. But, but by and large, what the biggest shift, uh, if, you're, if you're comparing 2012 to 2016, was that, uh, you know, working with your hands was a, was a good predictor of a Republican vote, and then, you know, education levels were, were a good predictor of a, of a democratic vote, which was a, which was a shift. And it's something that pollsters have had to, um, have had to account for, uh, since then. And, and, you know, I think that in 2018, the polls were, were pretty well, uh, did pretty well. Um, but you know, a midterm electorate is more educated. It's older. It's just easier to poll. Uh, it's easier to poll correctly. Okay. Uh, cause it's a smaller electorate in, in a midterm than you're going to have for a presidential um, and, uh, and there were a couple of states where the polls were pretty far off, um, including Florida, where, where I live and where I've focused a lot of my career politically. You know, the polls showed Andrew Gillum ahead in the governor's race, um, Bill Nelson ahead in the Senate race, and they both wound up, wound up losing. And, um, you know, the story there was that a, a lot of these public polls aren't doing bilingual dialing. So the, the polls conducted entirely in English. Oh. Uh, generally speaking... Uh, not doing bilingual dialing is going to lead to you sort of having a more Republican sample uh, than, than you'd otherwise get. But Florida is unique um, in lots of ways. But here's another one. Um, the Spanish speakers in Florida tend to be uh, older Cuban-Americans. And they vote uh, Republican. They're very, very Republican. Right. I mean, uh, you know. Uh, and, and so I think that a lot of the public polling missed that. You had the, a similar thing in, in Texas where they showed Cruz further ahead of, of Beto than he 
than he ended up being. But that was because, you know, in Texas, the Spanish speakers are more likely to be, you know, maybe recently arrived Mexican uh, or Central American immigrants. Um, and, and they and vote so they and they so vote Democrat, typically. Democrat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, there were a couple states, you know, and, and that kind of gets to the, to the methodology, like depending on the state. Uh, if a poll's not done in English and Spanish, it's going to have some pretty bad issues. And, and, you know, I think national polling at this point, the Hispanic population is large enough that you should, that any national poll should probably be bilingual as well. So I'm curious about this because in my house alone, right, we'll, we'll get calls and sometimes we've gotten polling calls and I like to do them. I think mm-hmm. they're, I think they're interesting and I, I, I like to do them. My wife would not do one unless one of her children's lives depended on it. <laughs> so if, if a number shows up like that, she blocks it. If she happens to answer it and it's someone like that, she just hangs up or says I'm not interested and hangs up. She gets mad at me for doing it. So I'm curious, how do you, how do you go about getting enough of a sample to feel like you, you have a, a representative, um, sample to to draw conclusions from well it's really hard uh and it gets harder every every day it gets harder um it's more expensive than ever before it takes longer to get good data than ever before um fortunately so far the 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 differences in attitudes between people who do and don't answer the phone um are not as big um and you're able to get uh you know get a representative sample still but it's, you know, it takes a lot of time and a lot of money. Um, you know, a big, a, a big thing that is, that has changed polling a lot is, you know, obviously more and more people have a cell phone only, uh, you know, they don't have a landline anymore. Um, self, because of the way the, the communications regulators set things up, cell phone numbers have to be hand dialed. You can't use an auto dialer like you can for, for landline phones. That's more money uh, going in because you're, you're, the call centers that are conducting the polls are, it takes a lot longer to dial in a bunch of numbers than it does to just sit there on an auto dialer and wait for somebody to pick up. Um, but we still are able to get um, accurate samples. I think that, you know, more and more polling is going online. Uh, all corporate polling at this point is done online. Uh, you know, if any, anytime I do a poll for a corporate client, it's, it's always online. Um, and so that's, I think that's where the industry is heading, but you know, we are still in a world where the most accurate way to get a read on the electorate is, is you know, a, a traditional phone poll um, with cell phones be making up, you know, at least half and up to maybe two thirds of your of your sample. Just it's wild because, yeah, back in the landline days, you, people answered their phone and they, they didn't have yeah. they didn't have caller ID. And then it goes from caller ID to now you can. Yeah, you can pretty much block everything. I like yeah, I mean, I don't pick up a number if it's if it's not saved in my phone or I don't recognize it. Uh, and, you know, maybe I should, given the, the industry I'm in. But, uh, <laughs> All right. But yeah. So but how, so we talked about how the polls did. Let's let's get into this race, because this is yeah. this is a different. This thing's wild, as we saw on uh, Tuesday night. I think everyone, no matter whether you're for Biden or whether you're for Trump or whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, I think we can all agree that Tuesday night was not the greatest night in the history of our democracy. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that we're going to be showing a video of that, you know, in, in any civics classes um, anytime soon. No, uh, yeah, it's so, safe. You know, it's funny. It, you're right. It's been a wild race, but the polling has been incredibly steady. Yeah, um, it's it's Biden by what 
eight, nine, ten points pretty consistently across the board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and so you know, the uh, back in what seems like ten years ago, but back in January and February when the Democratic primary was going on, if you looked at the Biden versus Trump average, it was usually you know around plus five for Biden, um, and it kind of stayed there until. Uh, you know, people tend to cite COVID as, as really changing the race, and it obviously did uh, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we could we could spend two hours on that, but uh, it really was. Well, can can we can we back can we backtrack a second? Because I am curious. Yeah. I am curious to get your opinion here, and I know you're I know you're a Democrat, but that's okay. Yeah. I mean, we can have the conversation. Yeah. We're, we're not we're not fighting. Had coronavirus not hit, had that just not existed, we just rolled right along. Yeah, into yeah. a regular March, the economy was booming. Yeah, uh, my four hundred one k was really liking life. It was, it was, it was exercising. Yeah, yeah. It felt good. In your opinion, where would we be in the polls today had coronavirus never happened? Well, so Biden was ahead before the coronavirus, but I think that Trump's message on the economy would have been very compelling um, without Corona. And so I think we'd be in a race that's a lot more, a lot closer to a toss-up. You know, Trump's Trump's never been particularly popular. Uh, he he's probably going to, if he if he were to lose re-election, he will he will be the one president, I think in the in the polling era to never have a majority say they approve of him in, in the polling averages and stuff. Yeah. So he, there was always a vulnerability there. Um, be, and that's a lot of that is just his personality, um, and the, he just turns a lot of people off. Uh, trying to be as diplomatic as possible, uh, but you know, but if he had been able to run on, okay, like you may not like me, you may think I'm an asshole, but look at your uh, look at the economy, everything's good, like the country's at peace, uh, we're prosperous. Um, th- that that to me would have been really hard for for Democrats to to counteract, uh, you know, to push back on. And so I think it'd be a much closer race. I don't I don't know that it would be, um, you know, Trump. Trump likes to say that he was he was going to win, like, you know, by 20 points or something before Corona uh, hit. No, that's not right. But uh, but he would be in a much better position electorally. Um, His message would be a lot clearer. Um, There would be less complicating factors in it. Um, You know, I think coronavirus has also sort of focused the uh, electorate to healthcare in a way that behooves Democrats. Democrats tend to, um, in polling, have an advantage on that issue. You know, Republicans tend to have an advantage on things like uh, taxes or, or you know, the military. Democrats tend to have uh, have an advantage on, you know, health care and, you know, sort of standing up for the little guy, things like that. Um, so it's, I feel like it's sort of changed the turf in the election to one that is, is less favorable to Trump, for sure. So... You're pretty confident in the polling right now that this is basically a landslide. Oh no! I mean, I I'm never going to be confident about an election um, again in my life because of Hillary Clinton. Um, like, <laughs> you can't go through the experience of working on the Clinton campaign and, and not have a nagging thing in the back of your head uh, that that something crazy could happen. But but you know, all jokes aside, yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear right now um, that. You know, Biden seems to be on track to win probably somewhere, you know, somewhere in the 320 to 350 electoral votes and, and win the national election by six or seven points. Um, but polling is, you know, it's a snapshot in time. Uh, 
that's where we are today. And, uh, you know, 2016, we saw sort of an October surprise that really upended the race. And, you know, something like that could could affect things. Um, I do want to ask you, know, you oh, I do want to ask you about mail in votes in a minute and how that night could get weird because the night could yeah, get weird. Yeah. But it could get very weird. Yeah. But um, um, here we are. It's October the 1st as we tape this. So we're, I don't know, four plus four and a half weeks before we're election 33 day. 33 days, I think. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Not that I'm counting. <laughs> there's a couple more debates to go. Uh, at least, I guess. they'll. I mean, you know, yeah. there's there's a chance for obviously an October surprise that the economy could change in a month. There could be a, a gaffe. There could be whatever could come out. Is is there anything that if you were, I guess if you're at this point and you're, you're Biden and you're, you're playing with a lead, what, what's your sort of your strategy at this point? Is it to just stay as low profile as possible or, or what is it? No, I think that you've got you've to gotta get out there and, and make an affirmative case for yourself. And I think that's where Hillary Clinton's campaign faltered in a major way was that the campaign was all about Trump, either good things about Trump or bad things about Trump. Yeah. Uh, Hillary did not spend a lot of time saying, here's what I want to do if I'm president and here's how it'll help you. Um, I think Biden's got to get out there and make that case. I think that he's he's um, he's a very well suited to to do that because he's he's just a uh, you know, he's a pretty likable guy. And he uh, his favorability ratings are you know usually about even uh, between favorable and unfavorable, which is which is really hard to do at this point in politics. You know, people are pretty cynical. But, um, you know, compared to Hillary Clinton, who, you know, had like a, you know, anywhere from the high 30s to the low 40s and favorable and, you know, high 50s, low 60s and unfavorable. Um, that's part of why the race is so steady is that is that Biden's just a more popular candidate, um, you know, as opposed to 2016, where the polls jumped around a lot. Uh, but, you know, I think Biden's got to get out there. He's got to, you know, make an affirmative case for himself. Uh, particularly on, you know, the sort of middle class economic messaging that that tends to, you know, anytime the Democrats win an election, it's usually because the election is, is framed as some sort of choice around middle class economics or middle class health care, you know. Uh, and, um, you know, so I think he's got to go out there. He's got to make that case. He's got to make sure that Democrats go vote. Um, you know, I think one of the big X factors is that the pandemic could affect turnout in ways that we there's just no way to predict. Um, and typically, you know, and this is this is an observation of mine, and this is not really political, but it's just kind of a, from a strategy standpoint. I have discovered that, and this again, you if you paint with too broad of a brush in anything, you 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 get it wrong. Yeah, so yeah, I, I'm yeah. I'm painting with a generally broad brush, if that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I have found that most people who vote Democrat are, for lack of a better word, more scared of the virus than those who typically vote Republican. Yeah, absolutely. And that bears itself out in polling. Like if you look at a poll and it's, it, you know, they ask a question like how serious a problem is the coronavirus? Um, you know, you usually have something like 80 percent of Democrats saying it's a serious problem and something like 40 percent of Republicans. Um, so I wonder how many Democrats, if they're in a place where there's, you know, the media is telling them there's a spike, there's a spike. Won't, yeah. Won't get out. Whereas Republicans will be like, I, I'm, I'm not worried about this anymore. Which gets me into the mail-in ballot portion yeah, of this. That's the way Democrats have sought to address exactly what you're talking about is pushing mail-in voting. Yeah. So there's a chance, right, that on we're so used to throughout history, 
you know, we turn on election night and uh, whatever yeah. you pick your network of choice or whatever. And when the as the as the uh, uh, precincts close and we start getting numbers at some point in the night, you know, it was Tim Russert. Now it's you know, I guess it was Anderson Cooper or it's Brett Baer yeah. or whoever you they've listen got, to. They've all got like a, a data guy now. Yeah, uh, and they're like, you know, we, Fox News or CNN is ready to call North Dakota yeah. for whatever. And yeah. so we get that, and we're all doing our tallies. This time, though, this is Bush Gore potentially on steroids, right, where you've got the the raw data from Election Day coming in. All of the mail-in things aren't coming in yet. Yeah. There's a, there's a chance that on Election Night, when we all go to bed, Donald Trump has more votes than Joe Biden, but Joe Biden's going to win. There's a chance this all gets into courts and about which which ballots can get counted and all of that. That's my nightmare more than anything else. My nightmare is a month oh, yeah. of, of unknown and it could be it could be really bad. Um, but but so a couple of things that'll hopefully make you feel a little bit better is it depends. It you know elections are administered state by state, um, and in Florida, the way our counting works is. They start counting the mail-in ballots and the early in-person ballots before uh, Election Day. So those early votes will be tallied up, and then they'll just have to count the Election Day ballots. So we should know who won Florida on Election Night. Um, and if Biden wins Florida, that's it's it's extremely difficult it's over. for a Republican to win without Florida. Who do you think um, will win Florida as of today? Uh it's right now it's tied. Uh, I can tell you for sure. I, I think that as of today, I would give a slight edge to Biden, but I don't know if that's, I don't know how much of that is, is wishful thinking on my part and how much of it is, but you know, so it's a coin the, toss uh, today in, in that state. Yeah, it's a coin. I mean, Florida elections, like anytime you see a Florida poll that shows like somebody up by seven or eight points, you can kind of throw it out. Like the elections here are never more than a couple points in either direction. It's just a very, you know, very evenly divided state. Um, and, but, you know, it, we will know who won Florida on, on election night. And I think that, you know, if it's Biden, that pretty much lets us, that pretty much tells us how it's going to go. Um, if Trump wins it, then, you know, uh, then he's, then he's still, you know, in the game. Uh, but no, no Republican since Calvin Coolidge has gone to the, gone to the press, when the, won the presidency without Florida. So, um, so we might get a uh, we might get a checkmate that night from from us. And I believe Ohio counts. Their, I think Ohio will be decided on election night. Uh, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is that the most likely tipping point state, which is to say that the state that gives the winning candidate their 270th electoral vote is Pennsylvania. And it's and a mess right now with the ma- yeah, it, it's a mail in mess. Yeah. Um, and Arizona, you know, Arizona is a swing state this year. That's another state where, um, where you know, most people vote by mail there. Um, you know, in 2018, the on election night, the Republican Senate candidate Martha McSally was was ahead. Um, but you know, after they counted all the ballots, the the Democrat Kirsten Cinema had won. Um, so this year, I think it's going to be there's going to be an even bigger gulf between who's voting by mail and who's voting uh, in person uh, because of what you talked about, like. Democrats are more worried about coronavirus than, than Republicans are. Democrats are more likely to request a mail ballot uh, and, and vote that way. And 
So we could have a scenario where, you know, it's election week more so than election night, which will be unpleasant. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's so hard for, for people that work on campaigns, too, because, you know, election day is supposed to be like the finish line. And um, and when it's not, that's really uh, it messes with your head. Um, what if the polls and I don't think they are, but you might disagree. I, I suspect that given four years, people are going to get it closer to right. But what if they're badly wrong again? There's. I mean, I run, yeah. in, I run into people all the time who say, and I get why they say it. They say, hey, well, it's two things. One, there are people out there who won't admit out loud that they're voting for Trump. Yet when they go behind the ballot or when they sit down with their, with their, their ballot, they vote for Trump. That, there's no question in my mind that exists. Th- that does, but, I, but you know, the, the thing I would say to that is, there are places where people are doing that for Joe Biden. Um, you know, it depends on where you are in the United States. If you're in New York City, um, I would not tell people I voted for Donald Trump. Uh, but, you know, if you're in, um, you know, uh, DeSoto County, Mississippi, you might be scared to tell people you're voting for Biden. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, so where's I even going with this? So let's just say I that you were going to ask if yeah, polls were off. Yeah, exactly. Let's just say they're off yeah. and that we look up and, and it ends up being razor thin and uh biden wins the the overall vote by three to four percent but trump pulls off another electoral college deal or there's even that nightmare scenario where it's 269 to 269 and 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 you know that the odds of that are incredibly thin yeah but Um, let's just say somehow some way donald trump is reelected in your business what would that mean was that completely back to the drawing board at this point I believe so. You know, I think that we would have to go back and, and obviously this is dependent on where those final polls stand um, just before the election. But, you know, if the, if the polls on, uh, I think the election's the third, if the polls on November 1st and 2nd look like they do today and Trump wins, um, you know, that would require probably a, a polling error bigger than what we saw in 2016. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that pollsters would have to really like start from scratch and try and figure out how to how to how to do things because um you know two election two presidential elections in a row being being off in the key states would be pretty damning um i do want to shout out there's a so there's this uh new york times upshot is like their polling page where it's sort of like a 538 type thing yeah but they have a they have a chart that they update every day that shows the polling average uh in the country overall and then all the swing states and they have a column showing that average, but then they have a column showing if the polls are off in the same way they were in 2016, this is what it would be. Um, and they also have one showing if the polls are off as much as they were in 2012 when um, when the polls underestimated Obama, um, you know, in, in that election. Yeah, uh, they thought that would what, be a closer race, Obama versus Romney, and it turned out to be just yeah, a, a walk it, in the park. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it was... But but it's a really handy tool, and so they they're keeping track of it. You know, kind of if you want to factor in a polling error, um, if the polls were perfect, if the polling averages that they had were perfect, Biden would win 359 electoral votes today. If the polls are as wrong as they were in 2016, they have Biden at 280. So that's a really close race. Yeah. And I believe yeah. as of last week they had it at Trump 278. Um, so you know, if 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 you factor in a polling error, then then you know it's a it's a 
nail biter right now. Um, I, I don't. Think that is that, fascinating. That, that really is. That board. is fascinating. Yeah, I don't think that it's that it's wise to, um, you know, assume the polls are favoring one side or the other. Uh, you know, polling error. If you go back through elections historically, has been pretty fairly distributed uh, between. You know, sometimes they underestimate Democrats. Sometimes they underestimate Republicans. Um, there are certain states that tend to to have weird little effects like that. Um, you know, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. But uh, you know, in the, in the upper Midwest, I feel like the polls are are probably maybe missing some Trump voters still. Uh, but places like Nevada, they tend to underestimate Democratic performance. Um, but we'll see. I mean, if the if the polling error is normal, and, and you know, it's it's a couple points off here and there, and it's not systemic, then then it's probably not going to be that close of a race. We'll probably know on election night. Uh, but if, it, if there's a bigger polling error, then, you know, we could be in for a really long, uh, you know, November, December. Um, all right. You, you mentioned a couple of things in our correspondence, how to, how to read polls like an expert. If I'm, if I'm wanting to look at polls and I'm, I'm just wanting to be right. I want to get it accurate, which is, yeah. you know, I, I, it's, I, I just want to know if I'm looking yeah. at, if I'm looking at polls like that, how do you suggest that I do it? Yeah. So the first thing I always look at whenever a new poll comes out is I like to look at the sample. Um, you know, does the sample look like what the electorate's probably going to look like? Uh, you're never going to get that 100% right. Um, and that's where a little bit of the art mixes with the science of polling uh, is, is people like me and people in my business trying to, to figure out what turnout's going to be like in, in the country as a whole or a certain state or a certain district. But if, you, if you're looking at a national poll, a couple things that I think, you know, are really helpful is Look at the racial composition. It should be, you know, probably high 60s, low 70s white. Um, and then, you know, about, you know, 12 percent black, uh, maybe 14 percent Hispanic, something in those ranges. Um, but, you know, look at that white number. Is it is it, you know, is it around 70 percent of the electorate? Look at look at education. Make sure that, you know, the the college plus portion in a national poll isn't isn't too high. You know, doesn't get much higher than, you know, 40 percent or so. Um you know, state level polling, you know, that's, it's going to be different for each state, but, you know, if it, if a poll's national or if it's done in Florida, Texas, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, is it bilingual? Um, are they, are they making sure that, um, that they, they, they're getting everybody? Um, another thing is, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll see stuff going around that's based on like a, a cross tab from the poll. So like a subgroup. So, you know, polls are very, uh, the margin of error goes up as the, as the number of respondents go down. So you might have a poll that says like, you know, oh, Biden's actually winning uh, working class white voters. And it's like, well, no, he's not. It's just a really small sample with a really high margin of error. Or you might see, you know, you see a lot of people uh, like a poll will show like Trump and Biden tied with Hispanic voters or something because it's just a small sample, uh, you know, that's that's in the overall sample. Um, if you want to know where the, the black electorate or the Hispanic electorate stand, you know, you, you kind of need to look at, um, at a poll just of those voters to get a better sense. Uh, and the same thing for like, you know, if a poll breaks out regions, if it's a national poll and it shows like, oh, Biden's up 10 in the Midwest, that means he must be running away with it in, in Ohio and, and all these places. And uh, that's not necessarily the case. So when you're looking at the cross tabs, keep in mind, like, you know, th- these these can be weird Um you know, the, uh, a couple, you know, 
one of the most important things to me too with, when it comes to public polls is is how good a pollster is that is that um, you know outlet doing it. Um, you know, NBC Wall Street Journal to me is sort of the gold standard of the public polls. Um, it's it's conducted by a Democratic polling firm and a Republican polling firm, both of whom are sort of uh, you know gold standard within their parties, um, and they you know they are doing whatever the best practices are. You can be sure that they're they're doing it. Um, similarly, the New York Times uh, CNA polls are good. Fox News are very just very good polling. Uh, Marist University, Monmouth University. Um, you know, I think part of the problem with polling though is that there's all these little fly by night firms that come up. So, you know, keep in, keep a uh, factor in the source. Yeah, know? I dismiss those. I look at the ones you just mentioned. There's yeah, there's yeah. there's so, two or three of those that that over the course of time have been pretty reliable. Yeah, yeah. And so another thing, you know, that comes up a lot is um, campaigns sometimes or parties release their internal polling. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's not something that you should dismiss out of hand, but I think it's always good to be like, why are they, why are they releasing this? Are they trying, you know, a lot of times if you release data, it's to try and uh, signal to donors that you're viable. Um, so like if you're, there was an internal poll from uh, Jamie Harrison's campaign in South Carolina that was released the other day that showed the race tied. Um, and to me, that's, you know, that part of the, the rationale there is if we show that this race is tied, it's going to convince people to give us more money because they think it's winnable. Um, you know, so don't dismiss them out of hand. Uh, you know, these firms that, that are doing these for the Republicans and the Democrats both have their reputations to protect. Uh, they're not going to, they're generally speaking, not going to release like really shoddy um, data. But, you know, Keep in mind the source again. You know, with any internal polling you see from from any party, um, with anything uh, or campaign, with anything, Jeff, you follow the money, right? So, as we get yes. late, as we get late in this, we're in the last four weeks. One of the things that I think you can watch, if you know how to do it, and I know you do, and I've I've kept up with this a little bit over the over the years, is if you keep up with where the campaign is spending its money, you can get an idea of where the campaign either is confident or desperate, yeah. or they feel like they're within striking distance. So you, know, you, have, to, you have to have yeah. a little bit of interpretive ability, but how do you, how do you recommend Absolutely. to people, how do, how do you keep up with where the campaigns are spending their money? Because at the end of the day, you can ignore a lot of the verbiage and stuff, and you can watch the money. If, if money's getting yeah. spent, if, if the Republicans, for example, are having to spend a lot of money in states that almost always go Republican, they're in trouble. And if you see the yeah. Republicans suddenly or the Democrats suddenly spending money in a, let's use the Democrats in this case, Democrats suddenly spending money in say Georgia, they they yeah. they think they've got a shot to pull off a, a, a shocker there. Yeah, exactly. So there's two Twitter accounts that are really awesome for this. One is at ad underscore analytics, and the other one is at medium buying, and they both track the campaign and super PAC spending. Uh, and yeah, so that that's really where you get the best idea of, of where these the people running these campaigns think the race is. And, you know, our, people like to people like to everybody out there thinks that they're, you know, they're a James Carville or Carl Rove, uh, you know, if they wanted to be. Um, and so a lot of people consider themselves, you know, to be to be smarter than the people running the campaigns. But people running these campaigns are very smart. Um, the people running the Trump campaign are smart. They know what they're doing. Bill Steepian, their, their manager is a, you know, is a, is a great political operative. Uh, same with um, Jen O'Malley Dillon on the Biden side. 
so where, where they're spending money is, is a really good look at, at where the race is. And, you know, we talked earlier sort of about where this race stands. Uh, you know, we just saw the Biden campaign um, expand their advertising uh, in Ohio, Iowa, and Georgia, which are states that, you know, were not necessarily on the toss-up map before. Um, you know, so you can take that as, some, as a sign that they, they feel like they have a shot um, in those places. The Trump campaign early in the year was spending money in, um, in New Mexico, which they were hoping to put on, onto the battleground. I don't think that that's uh, going to work out. But, uh, but, you know, that gave you an idea that they felt like there was some path there earlier this year. Um, and, so, and so, you know, keeping track of that is a really good way. The other thing is, is super PACs supporting each campaign. Um, you know, on the Democratic side, we have Priorities USA, the Independence USA PAC, which is Bloomberg, and then Unite the Country, which is Biden-specific. Republicans have America First Action, American Crossroads, Americans for Prosperity. Um, you know, th those Twitter accounts I mentioned keep track of the super PAC ad buying, too. Those are also all going to be run by, by really smart people. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so you can get a really good idea of sort of where the campaigns and where their affiliated super PACs are, are spending is, is really the, uh, you know, gives you sort of a peek inside what their strategy is um, here down the stretch. This has been really fun. Last thing, and this isn't something we discussed earlier, but you're involved in it I'm, and you're around it and you follow it. So I'm curious just to get your gut feeling, no matter how this turns out, this has not been, this has not been a fun year. No. Coronavirus and, and um, riots and protests, and it's just been a nasty year. And, and yeah. do you get a sense that when this campaign is over, that perhaps both parties are going to look in the mirror a little bit and go, we've got to dial this down some, or do you sense this is just where we're going and it's going to become even more vitriolic as we move to the, you know, because as soon as this is over, people will start focusing on the 2022 midterms, on the 2024 election, which, yeah. I mean, t Trump won't be on the ballot in 24. So if, if it's as nasty in 24 as it is now, we won't be able to blame, well, well, we won't be able to blame him. Won't be. We don't know. It could be Ivanka <laughs> or, or Don Jr. Oh, please. Um, <laughs> No, but so I, I think, again, this is me. Being, I'm a Democrat. I don't like Donald Trump. I like Joe Biden. I think that there's a chance of, of things cooling off a little bit if Biden wins and wins kind of clearly that, you know, I just think he's a more uh, amiable person. Uh, you know, you're not going to see the president tweeting crazy things. And, you know, like like I think that one of the Democrats' best messages in this campaign has been like, you know, vote for me for president and you'll go days forgetting I exist. Um, yeah, you know. no, absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, I think there's a, but, I think there's absolutely. And a lot of the hardcore Republican friends that I have just can't admit this. They will not admit this. There is Trump fatigue in this country. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's exhausting. And, and like I said, like I, you know, I'm not going to lie and, and say that I'm an unbiased observer or anything, but yeah, I think that like, there's a reason why he had a really good economy and a really bad approval rating. You know, typically, if the economy is really good, the president's popular. Sure. Um, and, and there's a reason that wasn't the case for him. I, I do think that there's there's potential for for the country, for both parties to sort of turn down the temperature. I think that that's where Biden instinctually will go. Um, whether he's successful in doing that or not is another question. Um, you know, I could I could see a scenario where Biden wants to you know sort of reach across the aisle and try and and, and you know sort of unite the 
unite the parties a little bit more and it just doesn't work because the, the left wing of the, of the Democratic Party gets upset about it or Republicans sort of slap his hand away if he tries, you know, things like that. But um, I'm hopeful that, you know, we can just uh, just be a little bit more normal after after this year's over. Um, yeah, I'm curious. It's too bad, um, you know, COVID and, you know, like if we hadn't had college football, I think that I, I would have lost my mind uh, by now. Um, that's I been like I would have lost my income by now. So I, I get yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I mean, for you, it's for you, it's so much, so much more important. But you know, that's that's being a, a guy from Chattanooga who went to Ole Miss. Uh, you know, Saturdays in the fall are are about one thing, and uh, if we if we didn't have that, it would have been it would have, it would have been a big psychic blow. So I, I feel like you know, I feel like things are getting better now that football's back. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I, I I'm curious to see. Uh, where we go as we head when this one's over and we get into the the buildup, which seems to start almost immediately to 2024. It's difficult for me to see Joe Biden and imagining the guy that I'm watching on the campaign trail four years from now running for reelection. I, I guess he could, but I, I, if you made me bet one way or the other, I'd bet that he won't. Um, yeah, just, I'm not going to say anything to get myself in trouble. Uh, no, but, you but, can't. You know, but you know what I'm uh, saying. I mean, I, yeah, I, I have, I have, yeah, I, mean, I, I have parents that, like, that are Joe Biden's age. It's diff, it's difficult to imagine four years from now that, that he's running. Anyway, I, I, I do. Yeah, no, I, I think that like there's a very good chance that there's there's competitive primaries in both parties uh, in 2024. It, you know, whether Biden wins or or Trump wins. So, and you know, uh, it's a chance to we'll fix it. Happens. It's a chance I, to I correct can, it a little bit. See, yeah. I can't see. Uh, I I can't think about much beyond November third at this point in the election year. You know, I'm just sort of, uh, you know, running on fumes already. But sure. Uh, but yeah. Well, hey, so, thanks so much for the time, Jeff. I really appreciate it. That was a lot of yeah. fun. It was really interesting, and um, I think a lot of people, regardless of their political affiliation, will will get a lot of um, will get a lot out of what what you just said. So it's ad yeah, underscore I, you know, analytics, I to, and you know, I, I I made sure not to you know uh, not to put on an Antifa hat or anything. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, like I said, I've been a, a big fan of the show for a while and, um, and, and love what y'all do. I'm a subscriber uh, to the, to Rebel Grove and everything. And, uh, and uh, yeah, really fun. Jeff, thanks again. Uh, that does it for this episode of the beer garden presented by Oxford crystal. Don't forget Oxford crystal highway six West in Oxford, right next door to the Oxford Exxon. I know we've been needing to get some beer gardens to you. We have kind of just a lot of stuff going on, which is a really bad excuse, but it, it is the truth. So we'll try to catch up on some beer gardens, get you caught up on uh, some NFL, some uh, Major League Baseball playoffs, some golf. There's lots of it's – a, it's a different sports year. Thank goodness we have sports, but uh, we'll catch up on it. On the Beer Garden, presented by the Oxford Crystal. For uh, Jeff Perrier, I'm Neil McCready. Until next time, take care.